So again, we're talking this uh, summer about these stories, these encounters that Jesus had while he was around the lake, around the water. It's very fitting for our Minnesota lifestyle. And the reality is that as we talk about these powerful stories, we have to keep something in mind. That all of us would love, wouldn't we, to see a miracle happen in our lives. I don't know exactly what's going on for you. I don't know exactly what you've brought in here to this worship service today. I don't know what stress you're carrying, what fear you've got, but I'm sure there's something in your life or that you've seen on the news that you would just love to see a miracle uh, fix, right? That's something that all of us would love to see. Last week, uh, Pastor Kevin talked about a few miracles that we see in the book of Mark that are really, really meaningful. We hear about uh, this guy named Jairus and his daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, dies. But Jesus steps in and brings that beautiful daughter back to life, right? And, and heals her and brings her back. I don't know about you, but uh, there's lots of you that are grieving losses this summer or this year or this COVID season. And if you could pray for that type of miracle to happen, I have no doubt you would. And then he told us about this story of a woman who had been uh, dealing with this uh, ailment of bleeding for 12 years. And she comes and she she touches the tassels of Jesus' shawl. And Kevin and uh, Miss Beth told us that she was displaying her faith in Jesus. Even though she was sort of hiding, she reached out and grabbed his shawl and Jesus healed her. It was a miraculous healing. I don't know about you. But I know people who are sick right now. I know people who are ill. I know people who are struggling with uh, mental health. I know people who are in the hospital. I know people who are trying to solve a problem that they just haven't been able to get fixed no matter how many doctors they see. And boy, would they sure love a miracle. And throughout this series, we've talked about different miracle stories. We talked about the miracle of Jesus calming the storm, right? Do you have any storms in your life? We talked about the miracle of Jesus healing that, that paralytic man that was raised, that was lowered through the ceiling to him. We talked about the miracle of Jesus and Peter walking on water, showing the power of God. And then we look around at our world today, and we see all of the disunity, we see all of the disease, we see all of the distress, and we think, man... It feels like only a miracle could solve this. It feels like only a miracle would be able to tackle the issues that our world is facing today. It feels like only a miracle would be able to fix that thing that you're carrying today. But those miracles, sometimes it feels like they just never seem to come. And so in this last week of this sermon series for the summer, we're going to talk about one more miracle, an incredibly famous miracle, Jesus feeding the 5,000, a story that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. And we're going to see this main idea take root in our hearts today, okay? That if you want to see a miracle happen, you have to start by surrendering something, okay? If you want to see a miracle happen, you have to start by surrendering something, giving something up, laying something down like we just sang about up here. And that can be a really, really hard thing to do. Giving something up can be a really hard thing to do. Now, I'm a child of the 90s. I don't know about any of the rest of you, okay? But there's only one real way to illustrate this idea of surrender, okay? Only one true way to illustrate how hard it is to give something up, okay? So we're taking two minutes. This is my gift to you this morning to get you fired up, okay? Here's two minutes of this little present to you. Hey. Hey. Oh, my friend. 
and Sarah had a great time last night. Yeah, so you're going to call this one back? <laughs> no. But what are you talking about? Sarah's great. Oh, really? You don't know what your great friend did? We were out to dinner, okay? We were getting along, having a really nice time. I was thinking she was really cool. And then, out of nowhere... Hey, look, it's not about a few fries. It's about what the fries represent. What? All food! Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't believe I set you up with such a monster. Hey, 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 look. I take a girl out. She can order whatever she wants. The more, the better. All right? Just don't order a garden salad and then eat my food. That's a good way to lose some fingers. You're here. Listen to this. So Joey and my friend are out last night. They're having dinner. And she reaches over and takes a few of his fries. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> you, you know about the, the, the plate thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Joey doesn't share food. I mean, just, just last week we were having breakfast and, and he had a couple of grapes on his plate. You wouldn't let her have a grape? Oh, no, not me. Emma. <laughs> Joey doesn't share food. Oh, I love it so much. I love it so much. I'm going to ask you all to please stand. We're going to read uh, the passage for today. It's out of Mark chapter 6. If you want to follow along, we're going to talk about how surrendering can be a really hard thing to do, right? It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, well, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was five thousand. Would you pray with me? Father, once again, we invite you to teach us today, to humble us, to inspire us, to encourage us, to motivate us, God, to live out the principles of this story, 
to understand that you are still a miracle maker, but that we have a responsibility to surrender. Lord, teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You can all go ahead and be seated. Thank you. Now, it's a little risky. It's a little risky to spend a whole Sunday morning on a story that is this familiar, okay? So if you are getting ready to tune out because you've been hearing this story since you were a little one in Sunday school, okay, don't do that. Don't do that yet, okay? This is the living word of God that's ready to teach us something today, okay? So let's stick together, all right? The, the story may be the same, but you are not the same. Well, however long it's been since the last time you thought about Jesus feeding the 5,000, you are not the same. Your life isn't the same. Your relationships aren't the same. Your age isn't the same. Your spiritual journey isn't the same. Your finances aren't the same. Your struggles aren't the same. Your heart isn't the same. Your mind isn't the same. Everything about you has shifted since last time you thought about this story. So give it a chance. When we strive for an interactive relationship with God then we have to understand that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we are constantly changing, right? So instead of tuning out, I'm going to invite you to try and imagine this story a little bit differently than you ever have before, okay? So it's really, really helpful to picture what's happening in your minds, to picture how this is all laid out, and I want you to change that picture just this one time, okay? So for me, when I thought about this story, I've been hearing it since I was a little one at church too, when I think about this story, I've always thought about it as like dusty and brown. I don't know why. But today, I'm going to picture it as lush and green with trees all over. Okay? That changes it a little bit. And I've always pictured the crowd as this big, massive crowd that's loud, and they're restless, and they're chatting, and the kids are running and being loud, and Jesus is trying to like shout over them. But today, I'm going to change that. I'm going to picture the crowd as quiet, sitting, listening, hanging on to every word Jesus said. I've often pictured uh, the powerful men, right? The men had all the authority in that day, standing at the front, receiving the teaching, and the, the women and the children, like, peeking around from the back, like, trying to listen in kind of thing. I'm going to flip that today. I'm going to imagine the kids sitting right down in front and him looking them in the eyes as he teaches. And their, their moms and grandmas and aunties just kind of all around. And then the guy is sort of, like, lingering in the back, okay? I don't know what it is for you. However you've pictured this story before, change it. Make it fresh, Okay? Jesus performed a miracle, people. A miracle. 5,000 men plus the women and children. We're probably talking about 10,000 people. That's a very safe estimate. And he goes on to feed them. Right? So let's bring this story a little bit of life this morning. So here's what we know. We know that uh, Jesus and his disciples had been working hard, so they went off on a boat to a desolate place, it says. It says that they were tired. Jesus wanted to provide them some rest. There's probably a message in there that we could talk about Sabbath in some way. But we know that they went off on a boat to try to get a little bit of a break, right? They went off to a desolate place because they had been fighting the good fight of faith. They had been working hard. They had been ministering to so many people. It's actually a very positive view of the disciples. Sorry, I couldn't hear what you said. Yep. I'll I'll tell you later, okay? Okay. Sorry. It's actually a very positive view of these disciples who sometimes get a bad rap, right? They sometimes get a bad rap for being always like klutzy and screwing up and whatever. This is actually a pretty positive view of these disciples who had been ministering and doing the will of God and practicing. And Jesus says, well done, let's go have some rest, right? Actually, the thing is an overarching theme of this story today. The thing that I love about this story as a whole is that there is no bad guys, 
There's really no like villains in this story. You're going to notice that as we go through piece by piece. There's not a klutz. There's not a screw up. You're going to see that everyone in this story is actually like an exemplar in one way or another. Every character's reaction is going to teach us something about how to surrender to Jesus. Okay? So let's take those piece by piece, group by group, person by person. Okay? First, we're going to start by talking about this big crowd. Right? 10,000 people. I don't know what that means to you if that you're thinking about a sports stadium or you're thinking about a packed airport or you're, I don't know what you're thinking about, but 10,000 people. And I guess there's no rest for the wicked because even though Jesus and his disciples had gotten off to take a break, those people are like, no, uh uh-uh, we see where you're going. And they start taking off running to where he's going to be and they get there first, right? And these these people, they, they show right up on the shore and they're like, we need to hear more, Jesus. We need to hear more. What you're saying, what you're doing, the miracles you're performing, we know that this is special. Kevin made this point last week, but I think it's worth repeating that we cannot overstate the fame of Jesus Christ. We cannot overstate his notoriety. He was the most exciting, interesting, gossip-worthy, riot-causing, recognition-bearing, headline news, superstar icon that that region had ever known. Ever. In that moment, in those days, people were flocking just to see him, flocking just to hear him. They ran, it says in verse 33, they ran to see him. They left their jobs behind, whatever they were supposed to be doing that day. They clearly left their food behind, didn't think about that, packing a picnic, right? They left their plans behind, they left their games that they were going to play behind, they left their routine behind, and they ran, they ran just to catch a glimpse of this Jesus, just to get a look, just to get a see, just to see and hear what he was going to say that day. And this was the first act of surrender that we see in the story. You guys see that? Jesus blessed this, this crowd with the privilege of seeing and tasting a miracle. It was, a show, it was an act of faith. Whether they would have been able to put it in those words at that time or not, it was an act of faith. I'm going to leave my day behind because I know that this is more important I don't know exactly what he's going to say. I don't know exactly what he's going to do. But I know that it's bigger and better than whatever I had planned. So I'm going to run, run to see him. And then I think about people today. I think about this like western suburb area. I think about Minnesota. I think about the Twin Cities. I think about our country. I think about western culture. And I think about how hard it is for Jesus to even get people's attention. Think about how hard it is for Jesus to even get a word in edgewise anymore. We're all so busy, right? We've all got so much to do. There's no time but the present. We got to get going. Okay, I got to stick to my routine. That's how I'll be most successful. I got lots and lots. Oh man, I have a stack of books that I need to read. I'm just so far behind. We've got so much going on. And I just, I, 
I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I sometimes imagine that if Jesus was out on that street corner out there today right now preaching, that people would just keep driving by. Because there would be something cynical that they would come up with, or they wouldn't trust it, they wouldn't believe it, they wouldn't prioritize it. they just keep going, and keep going, and keep going. Because that's what we do. People don't really flock to Jesus anymore the way they did back then. There's actually lots of studies and stats that would support that. And we believers don't even do the best job of that all the time, right? We come to church. It's beautiful that you're here. So, so glad. And you probably have some sort of rhythm or routine or 10 minutes a day, 5 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, half an hour a week. All good. All beautiful. But when's the last time that you were so willing to go see Jesus and hear Jesus that you were just going to set it all behind you? You're just going to move on. That doesn't matter anymore because I see Jesus in front of me. I see his word, his ideas, his thoughts, his guidance. The crowd surrendered their routine, let's call it. Now let's talk about um, the little boy, okay? If you're familiar with this story, you know that people oftentimes talk about the little boy who gave up his five loaves and two fish, okay? Now we didn't read that in Mark's version. You actually don't read about the little boy in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, Okay, those three tend to sort of mirror each other the most. But fortunately, we also have the Gospel of John, right? Because John inserts lots of really, really helpful new things. And John is the one that teaches us that there was a little boy in the crowd. This little boy, we don't know how old he is. We don't know what his name was. We don't know why he was there. We don't know where he got the food. We just know that this little boy was there. And when Jesus says to the disciples, how many loaves do you have? The, the disciples go and they look and somehow or another they have an exchange with this little boy. And, and he, they see, you know, this boy, he had a good mommy. He had a good daddy. They taught him to pack snacks. Otherwise he'd get hungry. Right? And I, I don't know. I'm just trying to picture this little guy, like, he had a basket full with five loaves and, and two fish. I don't know why. Like, he just came from a target run and mom asked him to carry the groceries. Like, I don't know. I don't know why. Okay? It doesn't matter. Out of 10,000 people, apparently he's the only one that came prepared. Out of 10,000 people, this little boy has a basket with five loaves of bread and two fish. And it doesn't seem like the disciples would have just gone up to this guy and like snack jacked him, right? I thought of that last night. <laughs> cool, it's, right, it's in italics on here, snack jack. Tweet that. So you have to imagine that they asked him nicely. They said, hey, hey, we got lots of hungry people and Jesus just, Jesus just asked us how much bread we have. Could we have yours? And you have to imagine, right? Because they're not going to, you have to imagine this little boy saying and looking around. Sure. If Jesus is asking, right? You mean, you mean Jesus wants my bread? You mean Jesus needs my fish? Sure, of course. Here you go. And we see the next act of surrender. We see this little boy surrender that which he had, that which was rightfully his. We see him give it up and share. Not in today's world, though. Right? Today, people hoard 
instead of hand out. They pile up instead of pass over. They, they grab instead of give, right? Not all of you, not all the time, right? Don't, don't, I'm not coming down on anyone. I give to the church. We, Hillary and I, we support a few other missions and those things, but man, you try to snatch my phone. You try and take my espresso machine that I got for my 30th birthday. Mm-mm. Right? You, you try to come grab my tennis rackets. No, that's how I stay. I need, I'm, God. Right? Uh-uh. Now, if I'm going to be totally honest with you, this is totally real. If I'm going to be totally honest with you, if I was that little boy in that instance, that circumstance, and I realized that I was the only one that had come prepared, and nobody knew who, how everyone was going to eat that day, everyone's starting to get hungry, and nobody knew how, and I saw that I had remembered to bring bread and fish, I had come prepared, they're mine, there's no way it's going to feed everyone anyway, I'm, I'm not so sure that I would have given them up. I'm not so sure I would have been willing to surrender it, even, even to Jesus. And, and by confessing that to you, I'm confessing that I have to do an examination of my own heart. I have to do an examination of my own heart and my own faith, and I have to realize that that miracle wouldn't have happened if that boy hadn't shared what he had. That boy surrendered what was rightfully his. And finally, this is an interesting one, we have the disciples, okay? Jesus' 12 best friends, and you say, well, what did they surrender? They were just kind of in the boat, and they were like confused, and they didn't know what to do, right? I want you to look closely at how the disciples react and act in this story, okay? I'm going to reread their little portion of the story, all right? It says, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to nearby farms and villages to buy something to eat. But Jesus said to them, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? Jesus asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 to 100. He takes the bread and the fish. He blesses them, breaks it, and they distribute it to the people. So where's the surrender, you might ask? Well, let's think about it this way. They, they recognize the problem. They're doing their job, right? They're helping. They're doing the right thing. They recognize that there's a problem. And then what do they do? Okay, let's go talk to him about it. Okay, they puff up a little bit and they go and they say, Jesus, we found a problem. But guess what? We have the solution. Send them away. And then Jesus pushes back a little bit. And he says, well, no, you feed them. And so then they go, like, wait, we feed them? What do you mean? Like, okay, so then they start doing the math. They're like, okay, so if four of us go to Costco and then we load up 16 carts and then... Then you'd have to sell your Bitcoin and then we would... Okay, but how much would you... Okay. Jesus, that would take exactly this many months of wages in order to buy that much food. And Jesus says, you're not getting it. You're missing it, right? 
You see, they had come to him with their answers. They had come to them with their solution to the problem. They had come to them with their will to be done. As right intentioned as it was. But then guess what? We have to remember that this is Jesus that we're talking about here, okay? And it's a little bit messed up. I gotta say, it's a little bit messed up to walk up to Jesus and say, hey, son of God, we think we know how you should do this, right? It's like walking up to LeBron and being like, hey, LeBron, man, we know how we're gonna run this play. You just stay kind of in the back, okay? Then we're gonna go do our thing, all right? That's not how it works. That's not what you do when you're dealing with Jesus, the king of kings. But then, again, they're not the bad guys here, right? But then, guess what? Look closely. They surrendered. They said, okay, all right. Jesus wants us to go find out how many loaves and fish. That wasn't our plan, but let's go do that. So they go and they talk to the boy. And they gather up the loaves and the fish and they bring it back. And they say, we have five loaves and we have two fish. And then Jesus says, okay, now get the people into groups of fifties and hundreds. And they say, okay, that doesn't make sense to us, but Jesus, that's what you're telling us to do. Let's go do that. Okay. So they go and they start grouping the people up and they get together and they start having their little groups get going. Okay. They had surrendered their own solutions. They surrendered their answers. They surrendered their will. They surrendered their opinions. They surrendered their expectations. They surrendered their ideas because they knew that this was Jesus that they were dealing with. And they said, okay, Jesus, you can do whatever you want to do. We'll make room for you to do whatever you want to do. And so they surrender. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how different our world would be today if us human beings would just surrender our own solutions to everything and look to God instead? Can you imagine? Can you imagine how much more effective the church would be if we surrendered our answers, our solutions, our way of doing things, our expectations, and just prayed for wisdom instead? The rest of the world can go ahead and operate off of battles between who's louder Who's smarter? Who's writer? It's not a word, but who's writer? Who's wittier? Who's faster? Who's more creative? They can go ahead and do that. But guess what? The rest of the world doesn't answer to a king. We have a king on our side. And you don't go to a king and tell him how to do what he's supposed to do. You go to the king and you surrender your expectations. You give up your ideas. You let go of your way of doing things. And you just say, thy will be done. Do whatever you want to do, King Jesus. 
we have the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords leading us. So we don't go all puffed up to him, ready to tell him how to do what he's supposed to do. We go to the king and we listen and we bend our knees and we bow our heads and we pray and we discern carefully together, united as a people, and we obey. And we just try our best to obey what the king asks of us. The disciples surrendered their own solutions and their own answers and their own opinions. And I hope you're seeing these awesome examples of surrender. The crowd leaves their routine behind. The boy takes a risk and gives up what's rightfully his. The disciples humble themselves and set aside their own ideas. And guess what? Guess what the result was? Arguably the most famous miracle that's ever happened in the history of the world. Because they were willing to surrender. They were willing to give something up for Jesus. And so my question for you is, what do you need to surrender to today? What fruitless cycle of life have you been spinning in? What are you clinging on to and and just hoping that it will make things better? What are you trying to control? Now, I've got to be careful standing up here talking about miracles to you all. Because some of you are here today, and you're in pain. And you're fighting against depression, or you're grieving a loss, or you're confused, or you're anxious, or you're scared, and you want nothing more than a miracle from God. And I got to be careful standing up here talking about this because I don't want to give the impression that this is in our hands. I don't want to give the impression that all you need to do is do surrendering correctly and then all of a sudden miracles will start happening in your life. That's, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what this story teaches us. There is no special red button you can press to spark a miracle solution to your problems as much as we all wish there would be, right? That's not the teaching here. The only miracle I feel that I've ever experienced personally was when I was in high school and my sister was battling cancer and I was scared out of my mind and I was in a corner bedroom of my house in Fargo, North Dakota and I lost my strength and I was too weak to do anything but surrender and then the presence of God's Holy Spirit showed up in that room for me and and made it certain made me confident that he was going to stay with me. It was, it was a miracle in my book. I knew that he was going to help me through. And I can't in good conscience stand up here and say that if you surrender to God, that he will perform a miracle for you. I can't necessarily say that he will if you do. But I am willing to say, because of this story and throughout scripture, I am willing to say that he won't if you don't. Now he won't if you don't. We don't get to feed on the love and the compassion and the teachings of Jesus if we don't leave our other stuff behind and flock to him. 
We don't get to taste the miracle meal if we're too busy trying to fix something up in our own kitchen. All we can do is look at the problem head on, acknowledge that we might be wrong, be ready for whatever he suggests, and trust that his will is right. His will is good. Whatever he wants to do is what needs to be done. All we can do today in response, if you want an action step today, all we can do is open up our hearts and surrender. And so as we come to the close of all these miracle stories, these stories of faith, these steps of faith we've been hearing about and talking about all summer long, we want to give you all some minutes uh, to process. We, all, we want to give you all some minutes to just go and surrender to Jesus, go talk to Jesus about whatever it is that you need to talk about, okay? So the band, the worship team, our awesome, awesome worship team is going to play some music to set, them, set the tone for us. And we're going to pray. And if this is something you've never done before, I'm going to try to help a little bit. I'll, I will prompt us a few different times with what we can pray about. But there's no right or wrong way to do it. Just simply have a conversation with your king. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we believe that you have power over everything that exists in this world. And so, Lord, we come before you this morning and we're doing our best to open our hands and to release control. We're trying to surrender, Father, and so hear us now as we list for you as we do some brainstorming, as we think about the situations in our lives, the circumstances in our lives, God, that you know are causing us angst and sadness and uncertainty, Lord. Hear us now as we share those things with you, King Jesus. God, we, we need to take a moment to confess to you that we've been trying to control. We need to take a moment to confess to you that uh, our plans, our ideas is awfully appealing, especially in the face of hardship. But we come before you and we confess that we haven't always operated as if it is your will that we want to be done. So hear our confessions now.
finally, Lord, we just ask you to be the king that we know you are. We invite you to love us in the right way, which is your way. We invite you to forgive us through your sacrifice. We invite you to lead us into whatever future you have in store for us, God, because we can surrender. We must surrender these circumstances to you and to your son and to his cross. So hear us now, Lord, as we open our hands and surrender to you, Lord Jesus. God, we're really, really used to controlling our own lives. We're really, really used to being in the driver's seat. So uh, it's a pre-confession, God. We're not going to get this right all the time. This is going to take practice. It's going to take an everyday reminder, Lord, that we are to surrender if we want to see your miracles happen. By your will, God, and in this community, God, help us to continue on this journey day after day of seeking for your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. And to close, uh, very fittingly, uh, if you haven't grabbed your communion cup yet, you can grab those on the tables that are out behind the sanctuary. Uh, Let's talk about true surrender for a minute, right? This is from John chapter 19. It says, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. This is while he's on the cross. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put on it a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. This was the meal he got to have. And when Jesus had tasted it, He said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He gave up his life. He surrendered himself for the sins and the brokenness and the problems in our world. And so I invite you now, these are new, so you know the bottom is where the Uh, bread is going to be. I invite you to open that up and remember that before he went to that cross, he was with his friends and he said, this is going to be my body given for you and for all the problems in your life. So when you eat this, you remember me that I've given myself up for you. Let's eat this together. We'll open up our cups. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new promise, the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. So whenever you drink of this, remember my sacrifice. Remember my surrender. 
remember me. We thank you, Lord, for the miracles you've done, for the miracles you will do, for the love and the compassion and the grace that you give us through the power of your sacrificial son, Jesus Christ, who is with us today, with us this week, and will be with us forever. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you all for worshiping with us today. Pray that the Spirit is working in your life. If there's anything we can do to support you on that journey, please don't hesitate to let us know. Other than that, we ask that you have an awesome, awesome week ahead. And we'll see you next time.